Stephen. Well, we're in part two of a series called Enjoying God. And uh, if you missed the first sermon, where were you? (laughs) But if you weren't here, seriously, if you can't, if you weren't here in person, you can hear it on the church website. And uh, there are sermons there stored uh, for you to listen to at any time. It's based on a book uh, uh, called Enjoying God, not surprisingly, by Tim Chester, uh, available in all good Christian bookshops. And uh, it's well worth Please purchasing if you'd like to. But what a reading from Ephesians that was. Wow. Amazing the theology, realm, amazing good news, all packed into just ten verses. Uh, I don't know if you know it, but the fir- in fact the first twelve verses of, the, of Ephesians chapter one is all one sentence. It's one sentence. So literally you could try and read sight. that those ten verses and two more verses all in one breath and I don't know what you'd be like at the end of it but probably very out of breath I should think but Paul is he he just is overwhelmed by the goodness and the mercy and the grace and the love of God and and you just get a sense of that as as you read it that it's just one truth after another one grace after another that he's pouring out and then God is is saying to him just write this down and, and it's so kind of packed full together. It's very difficult, in fact, to break it apart because it's so kind of all together. But we're going to try and uh, break it open a little bit and see what uh, this is saying to us, that the Word is saying to us this morning. Uh, let, a little bit of uh, background to Ephesians. Ephesians was written by Paul. Um, there's some disagreement as to whether Paul wrote it, but most scholars think it was Paul who wrote this letter. Uh, he was writing uh, in about AD 60 or AD 61. And he was in prison in Rome at the time, and he was writing it. Uh, Ephesus itself uh, was located on the coast of the Aegean Sea in western Turkey. Uh, Ephesus was the home of, uh, back then, or uh, at that point, the uh, Temple of Artemis, which was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And it had 127 60-foot-high marble pillars in the city. And it had a theatre that could seat 25,000 people. Another main structure in Ephesians, in, sorry, in Ephesus itself was what's, what is called the Agora or the entranceway. And this is a triple archway into the marketplace. And in that marketplace you could buy and you could sell anything. Suffice to say, if Ephesus was a very big and a very important Roman city. So as we, as we look at this chapter a little bit, we're going to try and see how the imagery Paul uses connects people into God's mind and heart. And uh, we're going to see how uh, the, the words, we can miss the meaning behind the words because we don't quite get the background to what Paul is saying. But we're going to look at the background a little bit and, and see how the imagery helps us to connect to God's Heart. And there are three things I want to just draw out of this. There's many, many things you could draw out of, this, of this, this, these words, but three things I want to draw out. Firstly, adoption. Secondly, redemption. And thirdly, sealing. Now, I'm not, as I mentioned at the nine o'clock, I'm not talking about the sealing. I'm talking about a, a sealing as in you might seal an envelope sealing. Now, the reason we're looking at the Ephesians 1 is because, as I said, we're looking at this series of enjoying God. How does it, how can we enjoy God? And what I want to, to, what I mean is, is, you know, we can assent with our mind 
to the key doctrines of the Christian faith. You know, we can assent with our mind to the doctrine of, of justification by faith. We can assent with our mind to the doctrine of um, redemption or the doctrine of salvation or, or any other number of great doctrines of the faith with our minds. And yet maybe for some of us, those, those truths haven't you know, gone from here to here, from our mind to our hearts. And so we can say, yes, I love God and I love worshipping God and I love to serve God and so on and so on. But actually, if you were to delve down a little bit and be honest with yourself and maybe with other people, you actually don't love God. You, you honour him, but you don't actually love him. You say you do, but actually in your heart, there's a little bit of reservation or there's maybe even a little bit of coldness to God. And so I want to to impress upon you, and I've impressed upon myself as I've been writing these things, that God has done everything for you and for me to bring us into a place of enjoyment or intimacy with him. So let's look at the first image that that, uh, we're looking at today anyway. It's in verse 5. So if you've got it open before you, have a look. Uh, Verse 5. In love, he, that is God, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. So this this image of adoption is the first one we'll look at. Paul is intent on helping the Ephesians to understand their true identity. That is what he's doing. He wants them to know who they are in Christ. He wants them to know that they are now a son or a daughter of the living God. And it's God's great joy to do that. God loves doing that. He loves to bring people into his family. He he doesn't have to, but he wants to. And so your primary identity as a Christian is that you are in Christ. He has adopted you into his family. And so if you believe in Jesus, you, you need to understand it's absolutely fundamental to our faith. You need to understand we cannot earn God's love. God loves you because he loves you, because he loves you. He just does. And you're never going to earn it because we can't earn it. He just, he just lavishes his love upon us. That's who God is. Now, our tendency is, Steve was talking about his glasses, our tendency is is with our lenses, our 21st century lenses, we look at these words and we read them with our lenses of 21st century people. But the first century people would have had their own lenses on and they would have read it in their culture and their setting. So let's look at how the first century Ephesians would have understood what Paul is saying to them. Have you ever heard of a Greek play called Oedipus Rex? A few... Sage uh, heads are nodding. Uh, Oedipus Rex. Well, if you haven't heard of the story, let me tell you. Uh, The the, the storyline is a bit shocking, but it wouldn't have shocked the Ephesians. Pray see of the story, very briefly. King Laius and Queen Jocosta of Thebes were warned by the oracle that they were to have a son. And that this son will cause the family great damage. So King Laius takes the baby's feet, when the baby is born... He pins them together and he abandons this baby in a field. A shepherd finds the baby and names the baby Oedipus, and the word Oedipus means means swollen feet. And Oedipus is raised by another king, the king of Corinth. Now, to the first century Ephesians, that that story wouldn't have shocked them, this, this story of the baby boy being abandoned, wouldn't have shocked the Ephesians, because child abandonment was common in that culture in the Roman culture. 
So in the Roman culture, when a baby is born, when a baby was born, the baby would have been set at the, the feet of the father, as it were, the, the baby's father, dad. And the father either picked up the baby and thereby claimed the baby as his, as his own, or he literally turned away and walked away from the baby, rejecting the baby. Now, he might have done that for any number of reasons. Maybe he wanted a boy and got a girl, or maybe he wanted a girl and got a boy. Or maybe the, the baby had a defect, or you know, some uh, a disability or something that displeased him. And so in that, in that culture, uh, the, the, the Roman gods, as it were, would have decided the baby's fate. And usually, the baby would be taken to the agora, that's the marketplace, and abandoned there. And then someone would come along and, 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 and take the baby and, and, and take the child in, not as their child, but normally to be raised as a slave or as a prostitute. So Paul is writing to that culture. So he's writing to a culture in Ephesus, in the Roman culture, where there is an abandonment culture. And he's saying, in love, God has adopted you, adopted them. You know, babies are routinely abandoned. They're left on their own. And as I was preparing this, this, this talk, there was a reading about this uh, uh, outside the eastern gate of Ephesus. There was this um, a, a garbage dump, literally a garbage dump, where people would frequently bring their babies and abandon them in that garbage dump. Uh, there was also a doctor in Pergamum who wrote a manual on how to measure the dimensions of the child to increase the odds of of picking one who would make a strong slave. And so given the culture, slave children were considered the lucky ones. So Paul is writing to people, and he's saying to them, back then, he's telling them this, if you have come to know Jesus, your most defining moment is not who threw you out, but who took you in. Are you getting, do, you, do you get what I'm saying? God picked you out, he's picked you up, and he's taken you in. He's taken you home. You are now his. He's done it for you. He was willing to die for you so that you wouldn't be left out there in the cold. That you wouldn't be on your own. He wants you as part of his family, even when nobody else did. So this is powerful stuff. Because if, now we're 21st century eyes on, we can still read this, and, and, and this is true. If you've ever known rejection... If you've ever known someone say, no, I'm, you're not good enough for me, I don't want you, either that's a spouse or a parent or a friend or an associate or someone like that, many people have known this in their lives, they've known rejection. Paul is speaking, God is speaking into that situation of abandonment or rejection. Also, realize that the Ephesians are slipping back into their old ways, they're, talking, he's, they're doing all sorts of wrong things. Sexual immorality, gossip, theft, lying, deceit, self-centeredness, and so on. And Paul is saying, before they behave, they need to belong. Their most defining moment isn't who threw them out, but who has brought them in, adopted them. God has adopted you, he says. Your family, let that sink in. Your family, Remind yourself, God has adopted me. Write in big letters on your notes, God has adopted me. Hold on to those words and believe them because that is true. You are adopted into his family. Secondly, the image of redemption. 
Now, adoption has got a, a, a sort of trade slant to it, and so has redemption has got a trade slant to it. It's a trade word. So in Ephesians uh, 1 verse 7, Paul writes this. In him, in God, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. What do we have redemption through? The blood of Christ. So let's look at this. This is what the first, how the first century would have seen it through their lenses. And remember, Ephesus is a, a trading post. It's a marketplace. It's got the biggest, one of the biggest slave markets in the Roman world. And in that marketplace, you can buy and sell everything. You can buy and sell anything. You can buy and sell whatever it is. And amongst them is people, slaves. It's a cent, one of the centers of the slave trade back then. And so, as you know, slaves are often rescued from the dump, sometimes as a baby, as an infant, sometimes as adults. And then what would happen is the baby would be bought, bought into that family, bought, uh, bought by that family as a slave, and then when they were old enough, they'd be taken to the marketplace and sold as a slave to bring profit to that family. And so that, when they are purchased, that is the moment of redemption. They are said to be redeemed. Someone has bought them with money. They were bought for a price. And so what Paul is saying, if you were a slave, and if you are now a follower of Christ, that means that your identity is now in Christ. You don't belong to your old slave master, you now belong to the master, to Jesus. There's someone else who's paid for them, who has bought them. And so when Paul is saying, in him we have redemption through his blood, he's saying, listen, the adoption program God has used wasn't money. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was paying the price through his own blood to bring us back to him, to God. Jesus pays the price for us by suffering on the cross. That is the purchase price, by dying on the cross for us. And we don't even have to pay. Jesus pays the debt for us. Now, some New Testament Greek coming up, up here. Tetelestai. It's a great word. Tetelestai. Jesus has paid your debt in full. He's paid the price. And so if your allegiance is to Christ, you belong to him. We are free. And so that is why Christianity, or enjoying God, you might put it, enjoying God isn't about doing enough for God, but about accepting his love. And, and accepting that in our heart. He loves us. He buys us. He redeems us through the blood of Jesus on the cross. In him, says Paul, we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, if you've ever seen a picture of a slave from ancient times or maybe the 17th, 18th, 18th century, you know, William Wilberforce and so on and so on, you'll know that a slave would have had a brand on their arm or their chest or their neck. And the reason is because that is the branding of the owner. The owner owns that slave. So that's the third image that Paul points to, uh, that of sealing. Now we're going to move a little bit on from uh, verse 10. We'll look at verse 13, where Paul talks about this. So verse 13, uh, Paul says this. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believe, you are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. 
And so Paul again is reminding them, you were marked with a seal, the Holy Spirit, the mark of ownership. And so you might, be a, you might have a brand or you might have a signet ring. That is a, a mark of ownership. Or, or an animal would be branded with hot irons. In fact, the slaves would be branded with hot irons. A brand is a mark of ownership. So say, slave is alive and well today and people are still branded with that today. And so Paul is writing into this culture. It's a culture where people are literally sealed or branded to show who purchased them, who owns them. And so Paul says, again, he says, when you come to Jesus, you receive God's seal upon your life. The promise that God is with you in the Holy Spirit. And God is shouting out, you're mine, you're mine, I've adopted you. And so enjoying God is, is, is that movement from head to heart. That he has adopted you, he's redeemed you, he has sealed you. You are his. That, my friend, is our primary identity. That you and I are a child of the Most High God. And that is mind-blowing. And when we come to that place of realization, then we can enjoy God more. It's freeing. I don't have to earn my way in. I don't have to do things to earn his love. I don't have to buy my way in. You know, we are bombarded, aren't we, with adverts that are saying, look, buy this, buy that. When you do that, when you buy it, you'll be happy. You'll be satisfied. But we know that's not true. We, we know that our, our peace comes from realizing that our identity is found in Christ, that we are the Lord's. Now, all being well, <laughs> that didn't quite work at the nine o'clock, but we're going to watch a, a video clip of uh, uh, something that really sums up what I have been trying to tell you. And I think this really captures what I've been trying to say to you. Before we watch it, um, I'm going to just put it in context a little bit. Um, Remember the 2012 Olympic Games? And you, you might have even gone to an event, maybe or just watched on TV, but it's, I think, one of the most fantastic games that we've had in recent times in London. And at the, the final of the men's 200-meter butterfly, there was a, a very exciting race, and, uh, and everybody expected Michael Phelps to win it. And yet he didn't. Uh, there was a young man called Chad Leclos, or Leclos from South Africa, who... Uh, was the winner of the race. And so I'm praying this works because I really think it really needs to. Um, that this, this video shows the moment when uh, his dad, uh, who is watching from this kind of gallery, is commenting on the fact that his son has just won this race. So let's, let's watch this and see what it's saying. And here is Chad's father, Bert. My word, what a performance. Unbelievable. 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 I've never been so happy in my life. And it's something undescribable. Undescribable. I mean, to what happened tonight is like I died with to heaven. And if whatever happens in my life now, it's plain sailing. It's plain sailing. And there is your boy down there. I think he could hardly believe it. Not just that he's won the gold medal, but that he's beaten Michael Phelps. Wow, this is a... This is unbelievable, isn't it? And he's beautiful. Look at this. What a beautiful boy. Look at him. Sorry, sorry. Tell us a bit about Chad and when he committed his life to swimming and how he's got this good. He's unbelievable. He commits, he's committed like you cannot believe. He's the most 
down to earth, beautiful boy you ever meet in your life. He, he, he will not, you know, he, he, he likes all the... Look at him. He, look at him. He's crying like me. I love you. Uh, oh, my God. Every time I see myself, I look at him. This is weird. This is No, no, no. You're fine. And, and, and his mum is here as well. How many more family members? How many friends have you got? My, my, my other son is here, the small one. Yeah. And uh, he's somewhere up there. I can't find him. We have to get tickets all over the place, you know. It's not easy to get tickets. I, I, we, I know, we're aware, but listen, you were here at the most perfect moment of your son's life, and it sounds like the most perfect moment of yours. Oh, unbelievable, unbelievable. Thanks, Great Britain. Thank you, and congratulations. Thank you very much, Madame. Thank well, you very much. Thank you, sir. That's Bert Laclosse, the father of this man, Chad, who is the new Olympic champion. He has beaten the defending champion, the man who's won the 200. It's wonderful, isn't it? Brings a tear to my eye whenever I watch it. But it's, it's, it's his reaction, it's Bertley Close's reaction. You know, my beautiful boy. He doesn't hold back. He's not like, oh, you know, he's, he's all right, he's okay. No, my beautiful, my precious boy, he's saying. He's won it. Wow. And that is just how God loves us and looks at us. He looks on us, looks on you and says, my precious, my beautiful son, my beautiful daughter, you are precious to me. And he's willing us on, he's cheering us on to get to that gold medal, if you like. So what is our response? Let me just think of uh, and mention three ways that we can respond to this. There's many other ways. Firstly, we can respond by receiving his blessings as gifts. Receiving his generous blessing as a gift. He is so generous. Water, just think of water for one thing. Water is amazing. We, we drink it, we wash in it, we have water fights with it, and so on and so on. And without it, we die. But God makes water come out of the sky. I, I, sometimes I, I moan about the rain, but goodness me, God has made a world where water comes out of the sky onto our head. That's amazing. His blessings are a gift to us. Receive them as a gift. Secondly, respond in gratitude. And as we respond in gratitude, that leads us closer to God. Giving thanks is a powerful act. You know, sometimes we tend to kind of get a bit kind of moaning, groaning, and all. You know, if only my life was like this, if only I had this, if only God was to do this to me, then I'd be happy, and then I'd be content, and then I'd serve him. Actually, that's the wrong way around. We need to say thank you, God, for the blessings he's given to us already. Because he pours out his blessings each and every day on us. And so we need to be thankful, and that is an act of gratitude. That gratitude leads us closer to him. And thirdly, as you recognize his amazing generosity and the blessings he's pouring out upon us each day, that releases in us the ability to give back to God out of his generosity to us and to give with generous hearts. And you may have noticed I've not mentioned the word money in this talk, and I, and I didn't want to, but I want to at this point. Because as we heard that, uh, already this, this, um, in the service, next week is our gift day. And in the gift day, we, we've got that, that opportunity to bless the work of God that's going on. To bless Jeanette, to bless, bless the team as they gather around Jeanette in all sorts of ways as we reach out to this community and to the children and to the families uh, around and about us in this village and further afield. We've got that opportunity to bless that work and to release the funds that God wants to pour out and to release the funds that are needed to build up that work. So next week is your opportunity to bless God and to give back 
to God as he is pouring out his blessing upon us in Christ every single day. Someone once said, if God can give it through you, he will give it to you. And the truth is we can't ever outgive God because he always uh, gives more than we can ever give back to him. And remember this, God loves a cheerful giver. So let's pray. Father, we thank you. We receive your blessings. We receive your goodness. We receive your grace. We receive your mercy. We receive your salvation. We receive uh, the gift of faith to trust you and to build our lives upon you. We receive your, your protection. We receive your Holy Spirit. We receive the way that you speak to us each day. Father, you're a generous God. Help us to respond to you. Help us to uh, remember that we are your child, that we are your son, your daughter, that we have been bought with a price, and that we are yours. Encourage us and fill us, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.